Welcome to Star Talk All Stars. Hi, Matt. Hey, Jana. <laughs> I am your All Stars host, Jana Levin. I am a professor of physics and astronomy at Barnard College of Columbia University and also director of sciences here at Pioneer Works, where we are. And I'm welcoming Matt, who is co host of Probably Science, as well as a hysterical comedian. Thank but you. his role here is just to like be my pal today. <laughs> I, I want to know how you end up on the All-Stars. Like, how does this work? Who, <laughs> yeah, who I don't know how did you? you end up on the All-Stars. Who selected you? I don't know. I think I just got selected. <laughs> I think you got called up to the main team, and then I'm just subbing in. I think I selected you. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, welcome. Today, Thank we're going to do Cosmic Queries. It's okay. been a long day, and we're like, you've been traveling the world. I have. By the world, you mean the west to the east coast of America. Isn't that the world? <laughs> it is as far as baseball is concerned. <laughs> it's the World and, Series um, and area. if only we could, you know, control time, then it would all be so much more relaxing to have this conversation. Well, there may we or could... may not be questions about that right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, really? I don't I know. Had, I had no idea. <laughs> well, these what do we got? Well, these questions, these are all themed. Um, the hashtag was uh, CQ Interstellar Travel. I think the CQ is Cosmic Query, so oh, it's just the Interstellar Travel bit. I should have known that lingo. Right. I feel a little slow. Okay. So everything here is Interstellar Travel based. Manos on Twitter says, unless we come up with a way to rip space time, what brackets, wormholes, etc., it's not going to happen. Am I right? Is Manos right? Um, about temporal travel. Well, about, I mean... About space travel, I think, specifically. Okay, well, so, here, so, well, so here's the thing about... Well, let's do time travel first. So here's okay. the thing about time travel is that the question... There's two points to that question. One is whether we're going to do it right through technology or whether it's um, possible in terms of nature. So it's so, possible nature could create its own time machine and that we don't have to do it technologically, but it wouldn't be us, right? Some, some other entity in the universe. Like you could have two cosmic strings crossing that create these weird conical folds that allow some, like some critter, not where we live, right? But some critter to do a loop where they come back in time. So that's actually naturally possible. It doesn't require technology. So that doesn't contravene the rules of physics the laws of physics as you we know, know them it's really disturbing but the laws of physics as as einstein set them down allow for time travel and and there's a couple of circumstances that occur naturally but not in our universe so Gödel, the famous mathematician um knew that there was a rotating space time like if the entire universe was spinning which is not our universe right so it's not going to be us but if the entire universe was spinning that he could find a path, a world line, a, 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 the line of some naturally occurring entity that would go into its past. And he used to walk to the Institute in Princeton with Einstein and talk about it. And um, Einstein was astounded that Gödel found the solution, but didn't disbelieve it, understood that it was, it was allowed, and his theory was very concerned. But then didn't Gödel also starve to death because his wife went to hospital? Um, yeah. <laughs> So, you know. So that happened, but... So on the one hand, he knew a lot more about space and time than I do. But on the other hand, I can cook. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can feed yourself. So I say we're pretty much equal. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, nature gives greatness and weakness in equal measure. Uh, and <laughs> so that's we, a law. We're all about average. All right. We're all about average at the end of the day. So interstellar travel, yeah. um, is that going to be possible without something like wormholes? Um, so... 
man, if we could figure out what the dark energy was and we could make it, then you might be able to do warp drive, which would allow interstellar travel. So right now, Voyager spacecraft has just broken out of the sun's magnetic influence, right? It's barely, barely out of the solar system. It's the first interstellar probe humans have ever sent, right? And we, we mailed it in like the 70s. Right. So it's taken its time to get out there. And it'll take something like 10,000 years for Voyager to hit another star system or something like that. But if you were traveling at the speed of light, you could get there in a few years. So um, if we can harness things like dark energy, if we figure out what it is and we can make it at the Large Hadron Collider and we can like put it in a barrel and take it out into space, we could suck distant parts of space closer, step across it, and then expand it again. And so it wouldn't be that we'd be traveling faster than the speed of light. It's that we'd be pulling space-time in, making a small step for humankind, <laughs> uh -huh. and then pushing it back out again. And you can do that faster than the speed of light and not violate any laws. Um, so that's kind of what warp drive would look like. Not technologically impossible. It's just very unlikely given the way, you know, the vote goes in Congress this week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like the way North Korea is looking. <laughs> so we're likely to blow ourselves up before... Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Well, that was a dark way to end it. good, yeah. So, <laughs> Neil Cochran on Twitter asks, if we can achieve the speed to explore the universe, isn't inertial dampening going to be an issue? Inertial dampening. Um, what is inertial, inertial dampening Inertial dampening first? really only matters... Well, I guess it matters anywhere because there's gravity anywhere. Um, so, it's hard to push a car. Uh-huh. Um, but it's easier to push me around. <laughs> right. Right. And that's because I have less inertia mm -hmm. than the car. But in completely um, outer space, it's not that expensive to push anything. Right. It's really easy. Um, it's really quite easy. But F equals MA, you know, Newton's laws. Oh, my God, I said an equation uh -huh. in audio. But everyone knows F equals MA. And if they don't, they're going to learn it today. Newton's laws, the force equals the mass times the acceleration. Yes, it requires greater force, the greater something, the greater the inertial mass. That's true. But it's still pretty easy to push a car in outer space. It's a lot easier than it is to, to do it down here on Earth. So yeah. you, you just surely, whenever you're moving anything across space, you just need as much deceleration as you have acceleration. Yeah, I at mean, the, other end. the thing, the difference is, is that if I push something in space, okay, maybe it's a little bit expensive to get it going, yep. but once it's going, like I can pretty much just kick back and it's going to go forever, mm -hmm. right? It's going to be very little that slows it down or stops it. Um, unlike on earth where there's all kinds of forces, friction and gravity that slows things down. And, you know, if I get something launched in interstellar space, it'll keep going for a long, long time. I see you reading. I, I am reading. I see you looking pensive. What do you I got? am reading. So, um, so Marco Pedroso. Do I get to ask you some of these questions? Yeah, <laughs> throw these questions at me, <laughs> professor of astrophysics. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see how the idiot comedian pairs. Um, Mark, Come on, Mark, you have a degree in math. I, I do, but I, I scrape my way through it. <laughs> and that was well over a decade ago, and I have done nothing with it since, apart hey. from create a podcast that tenuously has science in the title. So It's only probably science. That's why we it's put it in there. It's not definitively science. It's the, it was named very carefully. <laughs> the only thing we do carefully on that show. So hey, I've been on that show. You have. We carefully book people who know a lot more than we do. That's the other thing we do carefully. 
Uh, Marco Pedroso on Twitter says, uh, guys, honest question. Uh, I like that little preface. As opposed Just, to the rest aren't? Like, is he implicating the others? Yeah, or His other friends the... who, like, 30 seconds earlier pressed send? Every other question you're getting is bullshit. But this one... <laughs> this one's honest. Um, <laughs> well, my answer may or may not be, depending. Yeah, so... Um, Honest question. Ships navigating deep space should be shrouded in total darkness, right? Well, I mean, except for the light from the galaxy. That's not total darkness. What's deep space? Galactic space? I don't yes. know what, count, what it counts as deep space. It would be pretty dark. Okay, away from the sun, it gets dark. I mean, it's pretty dark at Pluto. It gets dark the further away you are from any individual stars. I mean, I guess you could go intergalactic, and that's pretty dark, yeah. But then you would still Wait, have... Wait, we're only on the first clause. He's got a comma here. <laughs> There's more coming. Wait, he would have what? No, that, well, that's the full question. So, yeah, so hang on, just thinking, of, I don't know what you count as deep space. Do you mean, is deep space the space between st- individual stars, or is it the space between individual galaxies, or... Can we write him back and ask him what he means? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's an honest it's but ambiguous question. If it's interstellar, it's dim. If it's intergalactic, it's really pretty dark. But you yeah. are still getting the light from millions of galaxies. Sure. But, that's, but each of those is just a pinpoint, like a single star, right? Yeah, like if you were a planet, a rogue planet that had somehow been ejected from the galaxy. And which you I'm were sure floating, happens, right? Which, Does it? Okay, planets, it's hard to eject, but maybe stars, an entire mm-hmm. system. So, um, like, let's say when we collide with Andromeda, we're somehow the two galaxies, the Milky Way galaxy and Andromeda galaxy collide, and our solar system gets knocked about. Right. And it gets thrown, possibly unlikely, but possibly completely out of the galaxy. So the whole solar system's floating intergalactic. And, we, and it takes us with it because we're just still traveling in its wake and its gravitational Yeah, it's field. actually, it's probably kind of normal for us because the sun's still illuminating us. Right. <laughs> so we have to lose the sun. Okay. Okay, so let's say we make up some scenario where some evil genius ejects the planet and right. sends it intergalactic. Um it's going to be dark. Yeah. If you could survive that utter darkness, you would see galaxies and you would see other things in the universe, but you would not have the warmth to survive, probably. Right. Yeah. Or the light to see anything or the light in, to see. in your you couldn't locality. See, right, exactly. There wouldn't, be enough, there wouldn't be enough light coming from these galaxies yeah. or stars to oh, then but, bounce off things and illuminate. Right, but imagine like the decrease in light pollution. I was just thinking that. That would probably be a great way to <laughs> great go stargazing. View. Great stargazing. Seriously good astronomy. Because right now we're in New York City, which has to be one of the worst places in the world for light pollution, right? It is terrible, but we are in Red Hook. And so we're in, as far as New York City goes, we're probably ideally located because we're right on the water. Mm-hmm. We're looking at Manhattan, which is way, way over there. And there's not a lot of street, there's not, not a lot of street lights or a lot of light pollution around here. We actually have pretty good viewing. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, look, I, I live in Los Angeles most of the year and that's terrible but again you can just go a little bit out of town you can get into sort of joshua tree that kind of area and suddenly you're in the middle of a desert yeah yeah i mean strictly speaking los angeles is a desert it is i don't mean that as a jab i just mean that literally like technically it's a desert and you sometimes forget that and because you're surrounded by the trappings of non-desert like a lot of grass that has been expensively imported palm trees yeah which have been imported with a lot of unnecessary water usage and you forget that and then you go out for and the you're day looking and you're... down so much that you forget to like look up at the sky yeah and then you realize why am i so exhausted today oh because i haven't drunk water and i'm in a desert 
Like, it's a little trip for anyone. Little tip for anyone's visiting California: drink water. Any questions about hydration? Yeah, <laughs> throw them my cruise. way. Remember to tag them. CQ Matt's hydration tips. <laughs> okay, so we're on to our first Instagram question, Jana. Does it come with a picture? Uh, Can it I see it? It doesn't. It's just a. Uh, it's just text. Rishi Rish. Um, on Instagram asks, traveling at light speed is now just an engineering problem. <laughs> Care to explain? <laughs> really, oh. uh, so that, that's in quotes. The first bit of that's in quotes. So well, I'm wondering whether that's something that Neil or someone else on the show has said at some point. Because uh, it's... Or, let's or, call or Neil. this is just something that Rishi Rish has read. Because in quotes well, it says, it traveling true. at light speed is now just an engineering okay, problem. Well, Close quotes. I'm going to actually back him up on this. Okay. So there are these nanosatellites that are like the size of a, post- a postage stamp that they want to put like a couple of computer chips on and send into space. Okay. And um, they're going to kind of laser them, like accelerate them with the pressure of a laser. And they think that they can get them to lights, very nearly light speed, meaning, meaning a fraction, like even if it's 0.1, the speed of light, that's really fast. Yep. That's insanely fast. So light speed is 300,000 kilometers per second. So you're going 30,000 kilometers per second. That's insane. Yeah. That's- and um, they think they can do it with these tiny postage stamp things because they're so light. So what happens when you try to boost things to the speed of light is that it becomes energetically more and more expensive. Technically, the inertial question, we can tie it to one of the earlier questions, things get effectively heavier. They get um, more inertia. This so, is something, this is something I vaguely remember from, this is special yeah, relativity, right? Special relativity, just straightforward, special relativity. The faster something gets, the, the closer the speed gets, of light, the heavier it becomes, the more inertia the, it gets. Right, the more inertia it gets, and so the harder it is, like, you know, to push it. And so, um, so in that sense, it is just an engineering problem, so you want to send postage stamp-sized stuff. Right, um, because also in you space... You can't send astronauts and fuel and rockets because that, that, as an engineering problem, is insurmountable at the moment. Um, but in space, you also have the advantages that you talked about at the beginning of the show where yeah. there is almost nothing slowing things down, so any acceleration is just cumulative. You can just That's keep right. accelerating things. That's right. So you can get something to some speed. Maybe mm. it's a hundredth or a thousandth the speed of light, and it'll pretty much keep going that way. I mean, it's you know if it's really tiny especially because it won't be slowed down by passing by big planets or passing by new star systems. Or it won't even have any particles just floating in space. Well, that could be a problem. Okay. That could be a problem. Like winds. Solar winds could blow you back pretty bad, you know. So that could be a, uh, a concern for these projects, I think, in general. But um, they're talking about sending many, right? So just if they send many, it's like running a lot of horses. So how And they- you just hope a couple make it. So where is this you know, laser that's going to be powering like it going? It's turtles. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, that sounds very sci-fi. I don't know that much about the technology, but I guess the laser's mounted here on Earth. And, you know, light doesn't tire. It can make it as far as you can send it. But and they'll just keep blasting this thing. So they, I think they recently, wasn't there um, from the ISS, I think one of the astronauts manually tossed out a nanosatellite. Literally. Like he was spacewalking and, just and he just sort of like sprinkled through it, through it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and hoped for the best. Um, so I think they're starting like preliminary ideas on these tiny, tiny satellites. Yeah. That's uh. but you could never actually, 
It said traveling at light speed. Now, at well, light no. speed itself, anything that has yeah. mass can never reach no. light speed, right? That's right. It can never reach light speed because it becomes infinitely heavy and infinitely hard to push just that little bit further, right? But it can go a fraction of the speed of light. It's pretty good. So, I mean, 0.1, the speed of light, like we said, that's 30,000 kilometers per second. I mean, how long did it take you to get from California? Uh, how far away is California? We were definitely so... 3,000 miles and yeah. it took you six hours? I know. Okay, I so you would have gotten here in a fraction of a second. And that, that's better. And I and think then, we should really work towards better. that. Because you can You're even deal that? with economy class that? in that kind of... Are you con- for that? I could yeah. do that, yeah. Because yeah. even like economy class in yeah, that I kind of speed, you sort of be seconds. just cramped. Yeah. Yeah, two seconds. You, you know, the boredom of getting on the plane and... Yeah. Right, you'd have to add a couple of seconds yeah. on either end as well for the yeah. getting on, getting off. You're always stuck behind the one person who can't carry their bag. And <laughs> but. Well, I could talk to Matt all day, but we're going to take a short break. And uh, stay tuned and come back and we'll take more of your cosmic queries. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your All Stars host, Jenna Levin, and I'm here with my pal, Matt Kirshen, who is a comedian and also host of Probably Science podcast. Hey, Jenna. You're still here. You I didn't run away here. during the break. Well, these stools are really high, so <laughs> I, I was, know. Just, I was, I was gonna, a little worried. I'm I saw you by trying mic. to get down. I was a little scared. I'm going to have to wait <laughs> for someone to come and lift me off it. I'm ready to take more of these cosmic queries. Well, let's go. Did with... people send us more? They certainly did. We've okay, got a whole batch of them. I'm. I was, at the beginning, I was like, are we going to have enough questions? So I was kind of spacing it out. And now I'm like, are we going to oh, get hurry through up, them? Hurry up. Are we going to get through them? <laughs> so Bowcraft on Twitter says, assuming interstellar travel is mastered by humans, what about it excites you and what scares you? Interstellar travel. Well, I mean, what about it would not be exciting? You know, it's amazing. We would go to it. We have planets now. We have exoplanets by the thousands in our own galaxy. That that's is something insane. strange that's happened in the lo- uh, 10 that's years. really recent, right? The, really the recent. science of exoplanets yeah. has gone from we might find one to yeah. we can't stop finding these so things. So now pretty much they think that, I mean, minimum one fifth of all star systems have planets. There's a hundred billion stars in the galaxy. So one fifth is a big number. Right. So that's, billions. again, the chance of us finding and something approximating like what yeah. we, life of some way. Right. So each one of those systems could have multiple planets. So that right. makes more planets than there are stars. And each of those planets could also have moons because like... Yeah. And the moons are also habitable. Right. So probably like if you were in the solar system, we talk about Mars, but like in an emergency, don't go to Mars. Go to, I don't know, Europa. We just <laughs> had something about Europa on our show. And that's the only okay. reason I know this. But I happen to know that Europa has a lot of water. And yeah, well, you know, I don't work on anything that happened more recently than a billion years ago. So right. Yeah, yeah. Europa's like this is local way politics. Into practicality. My, you're, yeah. you're this stuff you're, yeah. for the audio only the people I'm pointing to a, a whiteboard behind us covered in symbols and squiggles. yeah that's the good stuff yeah but so interstellar travel would mean we could actually go visit these planets but like interstellar the movie which was quite accurate in a lot of ways because kip thorne who's the great astrophysicist from caltech wrote the treatment for that movie and was very involved in consulting on it and a lot of that's incredibly accurate you would burn a lot of years traveling it might be that your years were shortened like you could interstellar travel for like five years and come back to the earth but a hundred years might have passed on earth so um so that's a pretty big sacrifice that's a scary thing like the guys who go up to so i met scott kelly today the astronaut 
That's right. It was right. really great hanging out with him, like for the few minutes. I don't know if it was great for him, <laughs> but I wanted to ask him stuff and I couldn't think of anything, but he probably aged um, a few seconds more slowly than his twin brother because that, of being on the International Space Station. That's right. Scott Kelly was famous, has a twin brother who was also an astronaut, right? Yes. He's also part of NASA. Yes, and part of the experiment was the brother stays on Earth and the other one goes to space. Which was a thought experiment from decades back. Insane. And, I mean, he had many more physical effects that were much more important than the time dilation. But basically, he aged more slowly than his brother. But, you know, he's, they're not going to notice. But if you interstellar travel, you're going to come back. And, and let's say Scott Kelly goes and um, interstellar travels and comes back. And then his brother is really, you know, maybe 70 years older. And, and he's a couple years older. That is a... Okay. So that's scary. That's a great that's answer. That's a scary part. That is a great answer. Yeah. From Jay-Z McGovern mm-hmm. on Twitter. What is hyperspace and how does that differ from warp? Asking for a friend, says Jay-Z. Um, Not okay. having it, Jay-Z. If this is you like, own it. You own that question. If this is like a game show and I'm allowed to reach for <laughs> a lifeline, I'm allowed to pipe this back to you because you're the popular culture guy. I hardly know what year it is. Like, I'm surprised I know what day of the week it is, right? That's right. You live in a world of dimensions and figures. and So as the pop guy, um, I think you have to tell me what hyperspace is. I I think I'm pretty sure the only difference is the science fiction franchise that the words have come from. I don't, I, there, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I do you, think we're do you just have talking any Star Wars and Star Trek. Do you have I think that's stock all in really... any of these franchises? <laughs> no, I, I don't. And also, I'm not good on pop culture either. But Well, I think hyperspace, I think what they probably mean is extra spatial dimensions. Should we just assume that that's what they mean? I don't know. Can we opt to answer whatever questions we I want? Think, I, I honestly think they're just two different ways that different sci-fi things have used to describe going faster than light. But you know what? Sci-fi, and... sci-fi can be very provocative in terms of generating ideas. Right. So I'm not dissing sci-fi. And, uh, but I'm going to answer the, the extra spatial dimension question because I can. <laughs> Is that fair? Yes, go for So it. it's completely possible we live in extra spatial dimensions. I work on this as a serious science project, science thesis, um, that the universe has more than three spatial dimensions and that it's an illusion. Because um, every day we do this experiment where we live in three dimensions. Every day around the world, billions of people confirm this experiment. There right. are three spatial dimensions. But it actually could be an illusion. And so um, one of the interesting possibilities is that something like dark energy is actually a quantum energy trapped in extra spatial dimensions that are just very, very small. Well, isn't extra dimensions also one of the reasons, that, one of the things that's posited as the reason why gravity is so much weaker than all the other forces. Yeah, so it's a very clever suggestion um, by a bunch of theoretical physicists um, like Nima Arkani Hamid, Lisa Randall, um, Demopoulos, Diwali, a lot of interesting people worked on this, that um, it's like you've diluted gravity over this huge volume. Even though the extra dimensions are small, they're kind of everywhere, right? Because and gravity so is... it makes it very diluting. Like, if you ask... Which direction is up right here? There's up. But if I go a little bit over, where's up? It's right here. So the dimension up exists everywhere. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? So those extra dimensions similarly would exist everywhere. If I was right here, I'd be like, where's the extra dimension? Well, I can't really point to it, mm-hmm. but it's at every single point in space, so this, there's that extra dimension. This could theoretically explain why 
a tiny magnet can override the gravitational pull of the entire Earth. Yeah, because the argument would be that the electromagnetic force, which is responsible for the magnetic pull, mm -hmm. is bound to three dimensions. Maybe it's glued to a sticky brain. Um, which is a membrane which lives in three dimensions. But gravity has to live in space-time. However big space-time is, that's where gravity has to live. There, which is why it's... It is equivalent to space-time. So gravity doesn't have the option to confine itself to a smaller space, so it kind of blobs out. And as a result, it actually makes it... It dilutes the strength of gravity. Yeah. How yeah. widespread is that theory? Why would you know this, weird? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't where know do where that little thing. come up with this kooky knowledge? <laughs> but I, I, do, I do know that gravity is incredibly weak compared to electromagnetic force. It is incredibly force. weak. It's something like um, a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth um, the strength between two electrons gravitationally versus electromagnetically. Well, that conveniently leads us straight into the next question from AD Ved on Instagram. Mm -hmm. What kind of gravitational force exists in space? such that smaller bodies revolve around the bigger bodies and not fall upon them? Oh, well, um, I can put an apple into orbit um, just by throwing it fast enough. So the International Space Station is traveling at 17,000, over 17,000 miles an hour, I think it is. Uh -huh. um, maybe Lindsay over there has got a little uh, fancy machine where she can, I don't know, connect to space and find <laughs> But I think it's over 17,000 miles per hour. And if it was going slower, it would drop to Earth like a stone. Right. Okay, so it's not about sizes of bodies. It's about how much you fling them. You know, so if I take an apple and I drop it, it goes straight to the earth. Bang. Splat. If I throw it, it travels a little bit further on an arc. If I throw it at 17,000 miles per hour, I could put that thing in orbit. Right. Right. At happy apple. Doesn't matter how big it is. How is that experiment going? And, how far um, have you got it so far? Um, I've gotten uh, like not to the wall. Okay. <laughs> you see the apple splats? It's a big room Progressively. It's, it's a, a big, big room. room and that's impressive. I and I really... This is our, these are our beautiful new science studios, which we're proud to have renovated with support from the Simons Foundation. <laughs> Good plug. Good getting in the plug in the middle of that. I didn't I didn't even think I was going to get a plug in. I didn't it occur to me. I should have okay. thought of that sooner. Okay, Holly Ann Lang on Instagram. <laughs> mm -hmm. When you're traveling in space, do you feel the effects of time dilation as you move closer to strong gravitational forecast? Love this stuff. Does so, the G-force affect your experience of time? Okay, so here's something that took me a very long time to struggle with studying relativity. Your experience of time is unchanged. You don't notice that your time is dilated relative to somebody else's time. And that's really interesting. So literally, if I am falling across the event horizon of a black hole, like what could be worse than that? Right. I, Which is about a strong I, gravitational pull like as you can dark, find. dark, yeah. The strongest Right, except for the interior, which is right. your worst fate, which your, you know, impending fate. Um, you would absolutely, nothing you could do would let you know that your clocks were acting in any way funny at all. You would feel totally normal. And this is something that people really struggle with. They think if your time is dilating that it, you experience it in a strange way, but you don't. You think it's absolutely normal as you're crossing the event horizon. You're looking at your clock. You're looking at your watch, whatever. You know, you're, you're juggling. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. There's no gravity. Forget it. You're not juggling. You're, you well, know. you could juggle okay, quite but, impressively because <laughs> you're just by placing each right. ball in the air and then picking it out. In a <laughs> right, exactly, because you're free falling. Yeah. You're free falling like the astronauts in the space station. But it's only when you compare to somebody far away that you realize like, oh, wow, something weird's going on. So they're going really slowly. So when we're comparing our Kelly twins, our twin astronauts, yeah, 
each you Kelly have to compare them. Otherwise, each Kelly thinks that the time is perfectly absolutely. normal, and it's only when they re meet up and realize that one of them right. is decades older than the other. Yeah, it's nobody gains extra time. It's not a way to get more, squeeze more life out. Right. Okay. You, you, it doesn't work like that. Your experience is totally normal, no matter what. And then you've got about a millisecond before you're crushed to death in the center of the black hole. So that's not good. Yeah. Can, well, can, is it possible to skirt the edge of a black hole, to skirt the event horizon without falling in? It's pretty I mean, hard. It's pretty hard. It's the same, exactly the same argument as we made earlier about inertial mass, uh-huh. is that it requires like a tremendous amount of fuel. Right. to boost you out of it, right? So like, but it's still just like, like your, it's still your apple going around the earth problem, right? It just needs yeah, to be going quicker, it's right? It's just a, an engineering problem is one of our earlier questions, Red. So like to get off the earth, I can't remember the number. I feel like it's 200 and, I don't know, it's, uh, it's maybe 20 kilometers a second. I don't know, the escape velocity from the earth, something, I, I don't remember the exact number. But if you're getting closer and closer to the black hole, your escape velocity, how fast you need to be moving, so you have to accelerate until you reach the speed, becomes closer and closer to the speed of light. And okay. the closer and closer to the speed of the light, closer, the, hard- the harder it is to accelerate, exactly. And the more inertial... Um, mass, you know, the, the more inertial resistance you're going to experience. So, so it requires just more fuel than exists in the entire solar system to boost a postage stamp off the event horizon, basically. So I've got a question for you. So you're, you're near the black hole. Yeah. You're accelerating faster and faster, closer and closer to the speed of light. Yeah. Due to special relativity, as you're doing that, you become heavier and heavier. Yeah. But that's your weight, not your mass, right? Yeah. Your mass so, doesn't, so like, because the gravitational pull between you and the black hole is proportional to your, your yeah, you combined wanna... masses, but your gravitational pull to each other doesn't increase as you get faster, right? It doesn't. Well, no, it's not that it increases when you get faster. It's that you would be better off just turning off your rockets and falling in. Right. And letting gravity do the work for you. And we do that um, in the solar system. We use slingshots like we slingshot past Jupiter to send probes faster than they were going when they passed the planet by using gravity to our advantage. So if I were you and you really wanted to go into that black hole, just turn off your engines and fall. That is actually a question (laughs) the nerdy dolphin on Instagram actually asked. Uh, Also Jack from Australia, it says underneath that. Um, will exploiting the density of a black hole to slingshot a ship be an effective method method of travel? According to you, potentially yes. Awesome. Awesome. Because you would steal a tiny amount of the energy of that back hole. There's so much energy. Like if I drop a rock from the Empire State Building, you know, even including air resistance, it hits the earth pretty hard. Right. Right. If I take a little piece of atmosphere like cotton candy off a neighboring star and drop it onto a black hole, it's going near the speed of light by the time it splats. Right. And it usually only splats because it's bumped into other stuff that's orbiting the black hole. Right. And so that creates this incredibly bright illumination. It's one of the brightest things in the entire galaxy that we have to see is the luminosity of stuff uh, dropping onto black holes. So there's tremendous amounts of energy gravitationally just from falling that you can but extract. You, if you're using it as a so method of travel. So instead of splatting, if you went on a little bit of a slingshot, just, you know, like it's what we were saying, the person was asking, why do you, why do you go into orbit? It's just because you're, you know, you're not traveling straight down, you're like being tossed. So if you just travel a bit around it and not 
falling in, you could slingshot and get a lot and of energy. And you're stealing a it. tiny amount of the speed that that black hole is moving through space. It's not even that the black hole is moving through space, it's that the black hole literally slingshots you. Okay. It's literally, it slingshots you. And, um, and so you're borrowing your gravitational energy that's released when you fall. So, like, I take a rock from rest. If I let it go, it's fastest right before it hits the ground. But don't you so lose it's, that? It's, doesn't some of that speed go when you're then moving away from the black hole again? Because yes. it's going to be pulling you back in. Yes. So how do you... You inc- still can win. Okay. <laughs> I mean, strictly speaking, you know, something like, you know, the whole pendulum experiment. Like if I take a pendulum uh-huh. um, and I let it go, I have to trust that it, if I let it go right at my face. Yes. I have to trust that it can't swing faster right and hit me in the face (laughs) yes right so if i let it go right in front of my face it will swing away and come back and just i've seen people do these demos with these huge huge um uh like bobs that would knock them out right Mm -hmm. but they don't flinch because they believe in the laws of physics it can never come back closer well okay matt when i come back are you still going to be here? Or are you going to have clambered down from these high chairs? No, I'm still, st- I'm still stuck. I'm still <laughs> okay, here. excellent. <laughs> the chair is too I'm high. I'm here until they release me. Okay, don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to do some more cosmic queries. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your All Star host, Jana Levin. And I'm here with Matt Kirshen, hey, comedian Jana. extraordinaire host of Probably Science. Why the probably? Because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, we, we're blagging <laughs> our way through. Did we do this in the first segment? We totally did. <laughs> we're being repetitive. We're, uh, well, let's do cosmic queries then. If a black hole carries the possibility of being a wormhole for space travel, what happens to both ends, point A and point B, when two black holes merge? Oh, I think, okay, I think the person is envisioning that inside a black hole is a wormhole. So you okay. get through, you fall through the event horizon. Like, so the event horizon is a region beyond which not even light can escape. So we live outside event horizons by definition. We live over on this side of the one-way window, right? But if you're a fool who crosses and goes to the center of the black hole, maybe you discover in your last microsecond of living that there's a little wormhole that connects to some other part of space-time. And people have, you know, pontificated about this, but it's very hard to justify or prove um, and it's probably not the truth, but, but it's an interesting idea, right? So I think the person's asking, now two black holes collide, what happens to the wormholes at the center? Right. Um, I don't know. <laughs> There's almost... I don't know. I don't know. It's too crazy. It's too crazy a scenario. But it would be kind of interesting, like, maybe they make a third bridge. I mean, I don't know. You have to, in my field, you have to be able to do the math to answer the question. And we can't do it yet. We don't know how to follow the chalk. We don't know how to write down the equations and pursue them to the end, right? Can you, can you test to see if those equations are right? Because by definition, you can't see inside an event horizon, right? You can't see anything that's come out of it. You know, or nothing a, comes out of it. It's a really good question. If I had the equations and I could pursue them to the end and I told you this is what I think happens, you could rightfully say to me, well, you can't test it experimentally. So how can you have so much faith in it? And I would say, okay, fair enough. Like there are limits, you know, but I can't even do that. Right? right. So we're not even at the point of being like, well, experiments going to verify or falsify my theoretical work. We're not even at the stage of being able to do the theoretical work. Now, right? I've, I've got a backup question to that as well. Yeah. The event horizon is the point at which even light can't escape. Like even light is going too slowly to, es- to yeah, escape. You can actually like if I was falling across the event horizon and I 
and I was to flick a flashlight, like just one photon, uh -huh. one photon at exactly the right instant, I could get it to hover right there at the event horizon. There's a funny, funny um, condition where the light is racing out at the speed of light, as it should, but the space-time, in some sense, is like a waterfall falling in at right. the speed of light. So it's like sort of so walking just, up some escalators that are moving that's at the exactly, same speed that they're coming it, there's down. There's literally, and it's a mathematical solution in Einstein's equations, that where a photon hovers exactly at the event horizon trying to get out. Now, that's crazy. But if you fall past it, like if you're, if you're behind me, you're like, Jenna, wait, and you fall behind me. But you'd never be able me, to see that photon. It's you could like, actually see the photon, but you would, it would look to you like it was traveling at the speed of light because you're falling in at the speed of light. So, okay. there's, so there, there's no way for anybody to see it hovering except another photon. Okay. <laughs> here's, here's my backup question because that was, I think that's far more interesting than what I was about to Your ask. Your hair but, is literally standing on end. But I'm becoming more like Einstein by the minute. But <laughs> Oh my God, you're great. Is that how it works? You're great. You're more great. I'm growing facial hair. Yeah, everything's changing. About to marry Marilyn Monroe. Oh my Monroe. God, your eyebrows. They never married. What is happening? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but... That, the event horizon is the boundary for light, but mm -hmm. everything else, like a person or a spacecraft or a satellite yeah. or even yeah. just even a molecule or an atom, yeah, that event, the, the horizon for that would be much further out, right? Because that would never be able to travel that fast. So its yeah. boundary would Technically, be... Technically, again, back to the engineering problem, you can get arbitrarily close and in principle... Right. Be able to escape in principle. It might but require more energy than exists in the entire universe to accelerate you to escape. So, yes, you could probably define horizons that were more sensibly defined. Like, if I used all the energy of the sun, what's the boundary beyond which um, Matt can escape the black hole? And it would be much further out than the event horizon. Right. But in principle, it's the event horizon for everything. Sounds good. <laughs> You're buying it? I'm buying it. I can it. say any old crap right now. No, you're saying it with <laughs> enough confidence and plausibility that I'm fully I'm sold. I'm very confident. <laughs> well, we've covered Are you it. sorting through the crazy stuff now? I, I'm sorting through this deep? question. So we've, we've kind of covered quite a few of these just through chance, through a conversation. Like what yeah. boundaries set us from achieving the speed of light? Well, you yeah. already covered that. That's the amount of energy and the momentum you need to overcome. Mm -hmm. um, if, if time is relative... Can we send a satellite somewhere else to look back in time upon our Earth? Well, we do that already to some extent. It's actually both um, uh, a hindrance, but also really a gift that the speed of light is a uh, fixed speed because it means that the further away something is and the longer the signal is taken to get to us, the deeper into the past we're able to look. So it actually allows us to look into the past. So if the speed of light was infinite, we would not be able to see into the past. But right. we can see the universe the way it was billions of years ago because the light we're collecting now from far away is that old. And so it's like an archaeological record. It's actually, it's actually spectacular. I think this question is asking one level beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that's like, could we... I, I believe... I believe this question is asking, and apologies mm -hmm. if I'm misinterpreting, but if not, I'm asking my own question now. <laughs> yeah. If there was some way... I think way, that's your prerogative. Yeah. As Screw you, questioner, <laughs> questioners. Um, if there is some way using, using some kind of warp technology, using mm -hmm. some way of wormholes or curving, curving the, 
space time mm-hmm. itself so we can yeah. effectively travel faster than light without breaking the speed of light and therefore travel further away i think the question is asking would it then be possible for us to look back on earth oh, and see our I own see what history you're saying. oh i see that's good that's a good twist um i think it no would. we can't because we would have to outrace so imagine the light leaves the earth uh-huh and here we are a few centuries later developing the technology to try to go out into space. Right. We would have to outrace that light pulse. And we've already established we can't do that. So, um, to see into the past. But there is one trick. If the universe is finite, if it's not infinite, and if the light has to wrap around the space, then we don't even have to go anywhere. We can just sit here on Earth and look out into space at a distant galaxy. And, um, and it would be the galaxy as it was in the past because of what we just discussed. But we might be able to realize somehow, oh, man, that's actually an image of the Milky Way as it was in the past because the light wrapped around this finite space over and over again and then finally we developed the technology to intercept it. And so that's the only circumstance I can think of when we could see the Earth and the Milky Way in the past. So we could then choose. You could figure the right out who shot JFK. <laughs> that was exactly the example I was going to use. Weird, <laughs> I <can> right? Stop <laughs> it. But but we couldn't. So we couldn't say, um, okay, the light the light from the sun hits JFK and the shooter and flies off into space into right, the universe. But let's say somebody broadcasts it, and somebody knows, and yeah. they broadcast it into space out of the Earth's atmosphere. It that's makes flying it out away of the at the speed atmosphere. of light. Yes. Now that's but that's traveling at the speed of light. Yes. Um, but let's. But the light wraps around and it comes back to us. But, and let, then we but let's say, ignoring it. that, let's say at some point we then develop this sort of warp technology where we can bend space-time itself. So that light has traveled one light year, but then we travel... Okay, so that's, Can we travel like five light years okay, in an so instant? Okay, so that's a good that's a And good then sort example. of leapfrog ahead and capture that light. If we could figure out how to manipulate the entire space-time, even if it was infinite, we could probably figure out a way to bounce the light back to us. Right. So in theory, so we could do that and then theory, have a telescope could, that could see into the past. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, in theory. But I mean, it's hard to, I think we would have to collude with a civilization that was far away because you can't, even then it would be kind of impossible to imagine because I would have to send a signal to that distant civilization and say, the light pulse is coming your way. But couldn't we, couldn't we ask? Send it back to us, but uh-huh. that signal would have to outrace the light pulse. You see, so it's a pretty sticky territory. Uh-huh. We, we might be able to uh, pre-plan it. Or you know, or you know what, the distant civilization takes it upon themselves without our communication to send it back to us. That's pretty much the way in which it could possibly work. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, or do we have time for another cosmic query? Oh, we do. Okay. All right. Um, well, this one we've we've touched on this a little bit. I think mm-hmm. this is the last question in this list. Uh, <laughs> the others are bad. Well, I think there's only one or two other questions, but yeah. they're things that we've There's no such g- thing as a bad question. They're things we've accidentally already covered during the course of this. Um, <laughs> but this is something we've touched on, and I'd like to know more about it because it still okay. confuses me greatly. Uh-huh. So how does dark energy and dark matter play into the science of interstellar travel? And I think wrapped up in that question as well is... What is dark energy and what is dark matter? Because you mentioned yeah. this briefly. Okay, so... And they're two very different things, right? So dark matter is just a proxy for a form of matter that we don't know what it is. So it okay. just generically means we don't know what that is, except that it doesn't interact with light. There are examples of dark matter. People make out that dark matter is so exotic. It's not that exotic. 
There are neutrinos. Neutrinos are dark. They don't interact with light. So it's not that exotic. But we don't know what is responsible for so much of the universe being in dark matter. It's like a quarter of the um, energy content of the universe. So that's why it's a big deal. Not because it's so strange for something to not to be dark. It's really invisible. It's not even dark. Light passes right through it. Okay. Right. So And then dark energy similarly is just a vague name for something else that we don't know what it is but we see its consequences like we see that the universe is accelerating faster and faster and we have no idea what's responsible and so we just label it with this thing the weird thing is that so let's say dark energy is 70 some percent of the energy content of the universe and dark matter is a quarter you know 25 percent why are they in roughly equal proportions that's really confusing to people what's the relationship between them. And, um, and so I think that it's one of the great mysteries because it means that most of what exists in the universe is just like a little bit of residue. So like a little bit of dirt left over from the so Big the Bang. So the fact that this, this thing, dark energy that we don't really know and this yeah. thing, dark matter that we have a vague idea of but yeah. can't really detect very easily yeah. are in the same proportions yeah. to the energy we know and the matter we know. Yeah they think is probably not a coincidence or maybe well, it just seems very strange for it to be a coincidence. I know it sounds like, well, what's the big deal, but it's just that the universe is, you know, 14 billion years old. And right now the energy content in light is like incredibly low by, uh, you know, hundred, you know, 10 billion lower. So why is this equal proportions? You know, so, so, um, it is, it is kind of a real question, but I think that the person was asking how would it relate to interstellar travel, yes. right? And you could definitely use dark energy for interstellar travel. It's hard to harness dark matter. I mean, it's hard to harness dark energy for sure since we don't know what it is, but like in principle, dark energy warps space in this spectacular way, right? It can accelerate the universe. So when we were talking about warp drive, they're usually based on dark energy. Like imagine a dark energy um, that has the opposite effect of the one that we observe. So it pulls things closer. That would be a dark energy phenomenon. Then you do the jump across and then you push it back out again. And so dark energy is And then is you get out drive. on the other side and then you can see who's shot JFK. Yeah. Or no, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but you don't have jet lag when you get back from California. That's true. <laughs> um, well, I think it's time for us to wrap up this episode. We could talk for hours. We're probably going to talk for a couple more hours Excellent. after the mics I are off. I hope so. I very much hope so. <laughs> You've been listening and watching possibly Star Talk All Stars. I'm Jan Eleven. My guest was Matt Kirshen. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having We're me. We're going to warp drive you back to California in a microsecond. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Coach, though. I hope that's okay. I can deal with it for a second. <laughs> and in the meantime, we'll see you next time. Salutations from the multiverse. Salutations from the multiverse.